0: Hi everyone. I'm Deb Flaschenberg and I'm your host for Yoga Birth Babies. And today we're going to talk all about breastfeeding with Lori Eisenstadt from the podcast, All About Breastfeeding. So let me tell you a little bit about Lori. Lori Eisenstadt, IBCLC, is a huge breastfeeding supporter. She spent much of her adult life working in the maternal health field. Once she became turned on to birth and becoming a childbirth educator, there was no stopping her love of working with families during their childbearing years. Lori became a birth doula and a postpartum doula and soon became a lactation consultant. She's been helping mothers and babies with breastfeeding for over 25 years. Lori founded her private practice, All About Breastfeeding, where she meets with moms one-on-one to help them solve their breastfeeding challenges. She's an international speaker, book author, and host of the popular iTunes podcast, All About Breastfeeding. Hi, Lori. How are you?
1: I am doing great. How are you?
0: Good. Good. It's a beautiful day here today. So it's kind of joyous to sit here and do our podcast as I look at my window. So I'm hoping things are going as beautiful for you outside. Where are you?
1: Well, I'm in Peoria, Arizona. So as my father used to say, every day is a nice day.
0: That's true. <laughs> I can't say that about this area.
1: <laughs> I know. I'm from Long Island, so I know what it's <laughs> like, and which means I triply... Uh, appreciate the weather that I have here and it's funny because if we have two days of any kind of darkness or rain which doesn't happen that often me and my mother are calling up each other and saying where's the sun I miss the sun yeah I don't know
0: why I live in this area but I do and I love it all right so I'm going to jump into our topic because I am fascinated with breastfeeding I did it with my own kids I feel like it's an opportunity I want so many moms if that's what they want to enjoy it so Let's start with how did you end up in this field? How did you end up as a lactation consultant?
1: That's a really cool story. I started off as a childbirth educator basically because I was not happy with a lot of things about how my birth went, and I knew I wanted to have other kids, and I said to my husband, I want other babies, but I'm just not going to do it that way again. So I became a certified childbirth educator, which led me to becoming a birth doula, and I took childbirth classes, and I was a birth doula for over 100 births. I moved from Long Island to Arizona. And I decided that I wanted to become a midwife, and I tried for about a year to connect with midwives and become an apprentice, and it just wasn't that time. Lots of midwives have apprentices for several years, and I was new, and I just didn't know too many people. I got a job at a local hospital, a large city hospital, and one that's in a community, so, so two hospitals. And I started teaching childbirth classes and breastfeeding classes and infant care classes and through that, I met my, I laugh when I say it now, but I met my first IBCLC. I I was like, what is that? I had no idea. (laughs) And she told me what she did. And I was like, because when I was teaching childbirth classes in a doula, I helped moms with breastfeeding, but it was real basic. And I incorporated about a half hour to an hour of breastfeeding class in my childbirth class. But again, it was very basic. And I said to her, but what else do you do? And she said, no, that's my full time job. And I'm always embarrassed when I say it now. I'm like, and they pay you to do that full time? And she said, yes. And I'm like, oh, okay, so you should come and hang out with me one day and watch me. And I'm like, no, no, that's okay. I was busy. You know, I was teaching classes at night and that was enough. Uh, but uh, after about six months of her nagging me because we would go to childbirth education uh, meetings with all of the other educators. And I would hear some of the things she would tell me about breastfeeding. And I would always be asking her questions because she would always whine about how much formula was given, how difficult it was when she came back in the morning after after working with moms the day before then it seemed a lot of things happened and changed at nighttime and she would come back in the morning and some of these moms would be giving their babies formula and she would say why what's happened so she would be talking about you know inventing so one day I finally did go in with her and wow when well, my eyes opened I just had no idea that when breastfeeding doesn't go well how difficult it can sometimes be. And a cascade of negative events can really make breastfeeding difficult for moms. And I remember after coming out of the third, like after we would come out of each room, she would say so. And I'd be like, okay, like interesting. But after the third room of seeing moms just have such great difficulties, I was like, what is going on here? And she was funny because she's like, come with me. We're going to go back to the office. And we went back to the office and she stood up against a wall and very gently banged her head against the wall. (laughs) And I'm I'm like, what are you doing? And she's like, well, that's what I do every time after, you know, three or four moms in a row of having great difficulty or really difficult case. I just come here, I bang my head against the wall and then I take a few deep breaths and then I go out again with a clear mind back to the next mom. So basically, really what I saw was she just had, it was it was difficult. There's moms who give birth premature that makes it difficult, moms who have cesareans that makes it more difficult, there's family interactions that make it difficult, there's some nursing staff that really doesn't believe in breastfeeding or doesn't help with moms in breastfeeding, and they push formula. So there's all of these variations. And I was just blown away. And she asked me, well, actually, I just took training to become a mentor to a, a student. Do you want to? Would you like to be my student? I'm like, no, no, no. After about three weeks of her asking me, I finally decided to say yes, because I, my husband heard, he was like listening to my struggles. And he said, well, what's the likelihood of you becoming an apprentice for a midwife? And I said, well, after six months, it's not, you know, six, nine months, is not looking pretty good. And he said, what's the likelihood of you being asked to become a, a student in lactation again? I said, well, I don't know, but he said, well, but it's here now. What do you want to do? And he, he really just helped me get off of the fence and steer me in a direction. So I became her student. Her name is Bonnie Jones. I love her. And I spent over two years under her and over a 1,000 over moms during my time spent with her before I became eligible to take the course, the, the uh, big IBCLC exam And I did that, and in 2001, I became fully certified to begin practicing on my own. And since then, uh, I was doing work in a hospital as a lactation consultant. I worked in a breastfeeding clinic, and about eight, nine years after doing that, I decided to open up my own private practice. Because I saw a gap between the moms who were getting help in the hospital, and then once they came home, it was very difficult for them to find help. So I opened up my private practice called All About Breastfeeding, and I see moms on a daily basis in their home, my office. I do Skype consults, and that's my story about how I became a lactation consultant.
0: I love it, and I love that. I feel like I hear a variation from so many people about whether it was from their birth or birth they watched and that led them to either be a childbirth educator or a doula, and it, you know, something propels us all into that field. And I don't think anyone just kind of stumbles in it heartedly, but I do want to bring up, um, you mentioned IBCLC. Can you talk about the difference or what that is and the difference between that and something like um, a lactation counselor? Cause I know there's different levels of those that support
1: breastfeeding. Yes. Thank you for the question. It's, it's, very difficult for the lay person, the lay public, the new parents to really know the difference. And it's really important. The best way I have of describing it is when I decided to become a lactation consultant, I had been teaching classes for 10 or 12 years. I had helped lots of moms with breastfeeding. I took a breastfeeding course before it. When I started working under Bonnie, she said, the very first thing you have to do is take the lactation educator course. And I was like, well, why do I need to do that if I'm training with you? She's like, because that's the very, 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 very beginning of your learning. So I took a lactation education course. It was about 40 hours. I took it over the course of five Friday afternoons. And I became a lactation educator. And to me, that is like the very, very beginning. Like if you become a teacher, to me, uh, become a teacher takes quite a few years. And that would be like if a teacher was taking courses for about the first six months and all of a sudden became a teacher. There's so much more that she misses in the learning. If they they allowed her to become a teacher after six months, there would be so much that she didn't know so much on the job learning so many different experiences that she would miss that would bring everything to her classroom. So when someone becomes a lactation educator, they're just at the very, very beginning of the learning. And so think about this. I took a 40 hour course. And then after that, I spent over a thousand more hours with Bonnie seeing actually over 2000 hours seeing over a thousand moms. And then I was first enabled to take, take a a certifying exam, which was an all day exam at the time. And once I passed that exam, then I became an IBCLC. So the big difference is between a lactation educator and an IBCLC A lot has to do with all the variations of experiences we see. So in other words, I needed to see 50 moms with flat nipples, 50 moms with inverted nipples. I needed to work with 75 babies who were born premature. And so all of these various experiences, moms with breast surgery, moms on medication. And that really is the difference because when I see a mom for breastfeeding, I bring with every consult all of those years of experience in learning. And then many of us IBCLCs will also go as far as to say that once we pass the exam, we're we're okay, we're still at the the beginning of our learning experience. We have a lot more than the lactation educator. So lots of us, myself included, I spent the first year or so after becoming certified still working under other very experienced IBCLCs where I would constantly say to them, I have this mom that XYZ, what do you think? And they would say, well, what do you think? And I would tell them and they would say, yes, you're exactly right on task. Keep going with that. Or they would say, well, you might want to try this. You might want to ask for this. So even after being certified, I still was getting a lot of help from other experienced IBCLCs. So basically, the lactation educators, it's easy to take that course, it's cheap to take that course, and you don't even need to recertify. And as IBCLCs, we need to recertify every five years. So when you hire an IBCLC, you're getting someone with years and tons of experience.
0: That's important to distinguish the difference. And, you know, I find that with the same in kind of the yoga field, that you can get kind of foundational training and then... We get more trainings on top of that and more hours. All right, I'm going to shift a little bit to now breastfeeding the baby. So what would you say a mom should expect in the first five days with breastfeeding a baby? Because I know that the first bit of time is very different than, you know, once they establish and it's months later.
1: The first five days are incredibly important. We've learned so much about that, even from the time when I started as an IBCLC. The science has really shown us that that first 24 hours is incredibly important in establishing what will become your milk production. And so what we really like moms to do is, and know as parents, to know that especially that first 24 hours, we really want you to know that that's your time with your baby. That's not time with, uh, with a, a door full of, of people coming and going and visitors with a lot of activity. We really want you spending time skin to skin with your baby so that you are able to Really start to understand your baby's feeding cues because you can't do that if they are clothed and wrapped up, have a hat, bundled away in a crib or someone else is holding them. They need to be chest to chest, skin to skin with you so you can start to see what they do when they're looking for food. And you will see your babies, if if you have that opportunity You will see them start to work their way to the smell, to the breast, to the nipple and latch on. So what we really want you to know is you're going to be spending lots of time with your baby and that will help to establish your supply. We'd really love for you to feed your baby as frequently as they're looking to do so. And the first five days, it's a big transition for new parents because I always say whatever your life was like before however busy you thought it was well there's nothing like those first 5 days actually the first 6 weeks I think we'll both agree but yeah. we're at, we're we're talking about the first 5 days so really what I want moms to know going in is that, I mean, we can talk about the logistics and the art and science of actually latching a baby on, Mm -hmm. but the biggest thing I really want them to know is this is not a time of lots of activity and lots of family and friends and, and visits. That will come, but you want to keep them to a minimum because those first few days are so important to establishing breastfeeding.
0: Well, what if there is a problem that mom can't be with baby? You know, if it was either maybe there was um, premature and they have to be in the NICU or uh, there was a surgery, you know, surgical birth and mom just couldn't have as much skin to skin as she wanted.
1: Yes. And this is so much what I learned in those early days with Bonnie, which is what initially freaked me out because I was so used to mom's giving birth normal vaginal deliveries and helping them and again that was very very basic I didn't know what do you do when it's not going so well when it's not easy when mom is not in a position to breastfeed for health reasons or baby is not able to breastfeed so the first thing that we like to do if at all possible if your baby cannot breastfeed or you're separated from your baby is to give your body a very strong signal the baby's here and if you don't stimulate your your breasts and start removing the milk, then your body does not get that message really strongly. So we're like, okay, so for some reason we can't have mom and baby together breastfeeding, but we can remove the milk. And as a lactation consultant in a hospital, while it might be weird and awkward for a mom, sometimes if she was unable to, because I've worked with some moms who have had cesarean sections, they've had medications and they're quite groggy, maybe they can't sit up straight, And they just feel very disorganized themselves. So I like to teach moms hand expression. And if they are not able to do that with their permission, then I will do that for them. Because I talk to them about the importance of hand expression, removing the milk. It signals your body that you have a baby. And it also gives you milk so that you can give your baby when they're able to take it.
0: That's perfect. I think it's important to know because I'm sure there are some women out there that have had that experience that, or maybe even listening now, that baby's in the NICU and they don't want to feel like they've lost out. So let's also switch a little bit to latch. I know that I personally suffered from a little latch issue and I was rather frustrated, So, and I'm sure my son was. um, Can you talk a little bit about the importance of a good latch and how does someone know what a good latch looks like or feels like?
1: It's always such an interesting thing to think about, especially to a mom that we've never used our breasts that way. And we're trying to think about how all this will work. And then we actually have our baby. And then it's still like really awkward and foreign for most of us. And the thing is, I just like for most women to know that expect it to be that way. It's a natural thing to do, but it doesn't necessarily come naturally. So I think going into that, expecting to have some challenges, expecting to have it not come so naturally and so easily and expecting to have to work at this whole latch thing is really helpful for moms because otherwise they just expect the baby's born, they latch on and everything's beautiful. And for most of us, even if we don't have big challenges, It frequently just doesn't work out that way. It's something that you kind of have to work together. So a good latch, what we're really looking for is for a baby to get a deep latch onto the breast tissue, not onto the nipple. And that's when I teach classes and I ask questions. And one of the questions is, is like, what is your baby supposed to latch onto? And almost everybody, if they're the first time around, they're like, well, onto the nipple. And then I get to explain not onto the nipple. We need to get them. Beyond the tip beyond the base of the nipple and onto the breast because if babies are just sucking on the nipple, then they're squeezing I always say it's like you take a slurp of fluid through a straw, and then you bite the tip. Well, that's what babies are doing when they're breastfeeding. And they're why I call nipple feeding when they're not doing it right. When they don't have a good latch, it's like they're spending more time squeezing the nipple, which actually blocks the free flow of milk. Just like when you take a slurp through a straw and, and then you pinch it and it hurts. So while it's hard, like we can't show a mom how to breastfeed unless she has her baby. We can, so I talk about it. I use my hands a lot to explain. I use a breast model and then I show videos. And one of the things that parents find that really helps in addition to that is to just know what it's supposed to feel like. And so when you have a baby that's latched on well and is using their tongue and suckling well, typically you will feel your nipple tugging inside their mouth like and almost a sliding back and forth or a tugging back and forth motion you should not feel anything that feels like your nipple is being pinched like they're clamping down they're biting on your nipple and you definitely should never feel pain but here's the thing about pain because a lot of people will say now oh it didn't hurt so I thought the latch was good and what I want people to know is that A first day or so of a baby latching onto just your nipple, it may not hurt yet, but after a day or so, it's going to get sore and a little bit more, it's going to get hurt. And then after it's very, very painful, that delicate tissue might crack and then bleed. So you don't, it definitely should not hurt, but you also don't want to go just by that. You want to think, is this pinching, biting, clamping, whether it hurts or not? I need for you to say to yourself, this is definitely not a good latch. It should feel like a gentle tug, 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 and totally painless. So that's one really great way that moms can know if their baby is latched on well.
0: Now that's important because I think that some people just think, okay, it's going to hurt a little or this is just part of it, so I'm just going to go with it. And then you're right, the nipples start to really become a problem. And then the hands go up and say, I just can't do it. So I'm glad that you're really putting out there that you know, if there's pain, stop, retry it. So what are some of the common breastfeeding positions? I think, I know I was confused on how do I, which, where does the arm go? How do I hold him? Where does the head go? Um, And would that differ if someone had a cesarean birth?
1: Yes. So I just actually want to go back because there's just one or two things that I didn't say with your question before oh, sure. and I. Of course. I just wanted to let everybody know that, in addition to feeling pain after a couple of days of a poor latch. One of the other things that happens is that you are blocking the free flow of milk. Mm. So if your baby is not latching on well, that means that the milk that, that you have in your breast is beautiful milk is not really being transferred into their mouth in the volumes that they need. So a poor latch causes pain and it also causes a poor milk transfer. And then what that leads to is a larger than normal weight loss. So, I, my kids often, they heard me say so many times when they were little around the kitchen table and I'd be talking to people, what you really want is a good, deep latch. So I just wanted to add that. And then the the question that you just asked about positioning, it can be different for moms depending upon the kind of birth you have. And it's not just necessarily, we tend to think a cesarean or a vaginal birth, but some moms have pelvic issues or they have a large tear and they have a problem sitting up Mm -hmm. issues after birth. Uh, Some moms, they're just so sore. Some moms may have literally, there are moms who have pulled a a muscle. We're just not ourselves after we've given birth, some of us. And it's not easy to move our bodies in the ways that we were before. So for every mom, it's going to be slightly different on how she breastfeeds. I like to take it for the basics. So if there's a mom and she is not separated from their baby, there's no medical issue whatsoever. Then I love to just put her skin to skin with her baby and just let her baby self latch possibly with a little guidance on her part, holding her baby, supporting the baby's head and neck and maybe provide a little breast shaping and support. Because if you put a baby, a healthy full-term baby on your chest and they have complete, full, easy access to the milk source, they will typically find their way on their own, or they will find their way with a little bit of help. And so when we talk about positions, I call this more like a laid-back, they're reclining in bed position, and it's taking away any pillows, any other needs for any other support other than mom's arms. Sometimes that works, and if it does, it's great. And your baby may be laying horizontal, or they may be actually vertical where their feet are pointed towards your feet, whatever works for that new baby. If mom is having difficulty with that, Or she just does not feel comfortable. While I can think that's a great way to latch your baby on, some moms in the early days, especially the first few hours, they feel really weird. They feel like with their baby is facing down on their breast. They worry about their nose. They worry about their baby being able to breathe. And for whatever reason, they may not be comfortable with that or they're just not able to do it because they've had a cesarean. They can't sit up. They can't move their body that way. Then we talk about other ways for moms who have had cesarean one of my favorite things to do in the hospital was to help mom get on her side and show her how to lay on her side and lay her baby facing her in a sideline position. Again, sometimes she's able to do that on her own. And there were certainly enough times where I went and I actually latched a baby on for a mom with her permission, lay her baby in place, hold and support her, breast for her, show her partner how to do this. So this sideline. You could hold your baby in front in a cross cradle. Now this position typically, because your baby is seven or eight or nine pounds, they weigh a lot and it gets pretty heavy. So this position for lots of new moms, they really require the use of a bed pillow or breastfeeding pillow to help support them and then behind their back to help support them sitting up straight. So there's the cross cradle. And then there's also a very common one, a, a football hold. Now, the football hold we might use for a mom who's very uncomfortable with her baby in front because she's had a cesarean and it might be putting additional pressure on her belly. Or we might use it for a mom who's very large breasted. And believe me, babies with moms who are large breasted, they latch on and they do a great job. So I don't want moms to think about, oh, I'm large breasted. It's going to be difficult because sometimes those are the negative seeds that are planted with moms. But we sometimes use that so moms can actually see their babies latching on. Sometimes with large breasts or a belly right after giving birth, you don't have a great visual and the football hold works really well for that. So that's some of the basics.
0: What do you think about some of the breastfeeding pillows? I know at one point my lactation consultant came over and took them away from me. Um, and I got a little too attached, which was true because I was having a hard time thinking, how am I going to leave the house? I have my whole corner set up. So is there a point you think somebody should
1: let go of that crutch? Absolutely. I think, and you said a crutch. So I like that word because a crutch is something that we need and it should just be temporary. So I find lots of women do actually do better with a pillow in the very early days. And whether I say the early days, two days, three days, five days, 10 days, 14, three weeks, for every mother, it's different. I like for her to think that this is something that will help me sit up straighter, support my baby underneath If she is having problems doing that herself, if she is not, if I meet a mom and she's not having a problem doing that herself and in an interesting way, sometimes our belly postpartum can act (laughs) like a pillow and I'm like, you don't need a pillow. Your belly is serving as a beautiful pillow. So I just, I don't want moms to get hooked into one way and that it has to be all the time. I do have to say though, that there's a fair amount of moms in the beginning who actually do better with pillows if they're sitting up and then soon get rid of them. Like you said, you, you want to get on with your life. You want to be able to go out. You want to be able to nurse in public and not have to schlep a pillow. Yeah. But for some moms, they don't need anything in the beginning. If they are doing what I really love for them to do is sideline or laying back, then there's no pillows. There's no stools. There, there's no nothing. It's just you and your baby.
0: And I want to put a shout out for sideline. I didn't discover that until my second. And wow, did it change things. We could, you know, I could rest. I could even at night, night feedings. It really, I love sidelining. So I, I hope more women hear about that and take advantage of that. Well, I want to touch back on something that kind of caught my ear. You talked about weight gain and weight loss. Will you go more into that? Like what kind of weight gain or weight loss is in the normal realm? Because I hear a lot of women concerned about that. You know, babies lost too much or and they have to supplement What's in that normal realm?
1: I love talking about this because there is so much poor information about this issue about weight loss and weight gain. What I really want moms to know is that whatever weight your baby weighs, and and I'm going to talk about healthy full-term babies, and if you want to talk about preemie babies or moms with other issues, we can go into that. Mm -hmm. But as far as healthy full-term babies, let's say you give birth to a baby that's 8 pounds, 10 ounces. In their first four or five days of life, your newborn baby An approximate weight loss acceptable would be about five to seven ounces in the first four days. And there's lots of reasons why that happens. A lot of people think, oh, if I have milk, then my baby should keep gaining weight from birth on. But the first milk, the beautiful colostrum, is meant to pass on lots of immune factors and antiviral factors to your baby. And there's so much going on there, but it's not necessarily to gain weight just yet. The colostrum just bathes your baby's gut in such great stuff that they need. And it provides some fluid, but it's very common for healthy full-term babies who are feeding well to lose a little bit of weight. And so five to seven is is the approximate. If after four days or before your baby has lost a lot more weight, like 9 and 10 and 11 ounces, that's a red flag to me. If your baby continues to lose after the fourth and fifth day, that's a red flag for me. So I want moms to know, don't get excited if your breastfed baby loses some ounces. Five to seven is normal in the first four days. But then your baby should start gaining at the rate of about a half an ounce a day, approximately, because the general rule of thumb is your baby should be back to birth weight by the time they're two weeks old, and then after that, you're gaining about an ounce a day until they're about five or six months old, and then the weight gain for the last, the second half of the year of their first, uh, the second half of their year, is about a half an ounce a day. Does so, that take
0: in consideration if someone had an epidural because they need extra fluid, so they need, you know, they're constantly having IV fluid and the baby absorbs some of that?
1: Well, one of the issues is that we find that some moms are pumped with so much fluid that their baby's initial weight may be a little bit bloated.
0: Right. So then they might lose more weight.
1: Yes. They might lose more weight. So for me, I like for moms to know what the average weight loss is in the first four or five days. And then what the average weight gain should be Mm -hmm. from there on. I also tell them, I do not go by just the weight alone and decide if you're doing well with breastfeeding or not, if your baby's lost too much. I am asking them about output and what's really important is volume. And what's really important is color. Mm -hmm. I'm also asking them about breastfeeding. How is it going? Is it pain-free? Is it hurting? I'm also asking them how their baby is nursing. Are they coming to the breast and falling asleep in a few minutes? Are they coming to the breast and really actively suckling? And when I teach breastfeeding classes, I have moms be real clear. What's the difference between a baby breastfeeding for 20 minutes, but they're mostly sleeping and you're having to nudge and stimulate them to keep awake or... What is your is your baby actively sucking? Suck, swallow, breathe. Suck, swallow, breathe. Suck, swallow, breathe. This is good
0: that you're seeing the whole picture. I think sometimes we get caught up in just the numbers.
1: Exactly. So I love to talk about the weight because I want them to know what's normal, but I also want them to know that that is not a deciding factor if your baby is getting enough, how well you're doing, that there are other things to look at, which is the, the, the to me the fun thing and the great thing to really do when I'm working with a mom postpartum and I'm doing a lactation consult with her because I am taking a look at all those different factors.
0: Well, what would some of the red flags be that someone can identify if they are having problems with breastfeeding it's not going well? So beyond the weight, there you said there's some other factors. So what would some of those red flags be?
1: Well, it's starting to hurt them or they're in a lot of pain, crack, bleeding nipples. None of those are normal. And I I feel like 20 years later, I still can't say that enough. It's not supposed to hurt. Not a day, not two days, not three days. Please do not listen to anybody who tells you three weeks, six weeks, nine weeks, and then it'll get better. Just keep going. When you're hurting and in pain, that's what I want moms to know. Breastfeeding is not going well, and it's likely, <clears throat> it's likely that your the milk transfer is poor and that your baby will be losing weight. Some moms have an abundant supply no matter what, even if it's not going well and their babies are still gaining. But if it's hurting, it's not right. There's something wrong. Also, the output. This is another big issue that I'd really love for parents to understand It is not normal for your babies to not be peeing and pooping after the birth. So when moms are telling me after three days that their babies are only peeing once a day or there's a reddish or orange color to it or it's dark or it has a strong odor, That to me is a very clear sign that their baby is not getting enough. Their baby is dehydrated. If their baby has gone through the first day or two of that sticky black meconium stools, but then on day three or four, they hardly notice anything or no stools. Those are major red flags. I call them sirens going off. Those are clear signs that your baby is not getting enough. So typically you'll have weight loss, you'll have pain, and you'll have poor output.
0: Okay, those are good. I'm glad that you said that so that people know that what to look for. Because I think some people again we just get onto the weight. And I know you touched on this uh, earlier, but are there? You touched on some of the common problems that you saw new breastfeeding moms encounter when you were learning. Um, you know, you'd go from room to room and see that. Are there, is there anything else you want to add to that so that women can recognize? You know, now we have the red flags, but that that these things are okay to have problems with other common problems
1: that you find? So other common problems that I find, here's what's interesting is that moms at a certain point, whether it's day one, day two, day three, day four, they're supplementing, they're pumping and they're supplementing, but they're also telling me that breastfeeding is going well. And I just want moms to know that if they're supplementing because it's hurting, then that's a problem. If they're supplementing because their babies are losing too much weight when when they're breastfeeding, then that's a problem. So, I absolutely am a huge fan of supplementing a baby if they're not able to breastfeed or they're not able to get enough. But at the same time, I really want moms to say, okay, well, this is what I need to do to make sure I have a well fed baby. But I also really want to make breastfeeding work and I want to get help with breastfeeding while I'm supplementing my baby. Mm-hmm. So I find that that happens a lot in that moms are accepting those things and also telling themselves that breastfeeding is going okay. Mm-hmm. And it's partially because they're, if they're supplementing, their babies are gaining well, but it still doesn't mean that breastfeeding is going okay. And for us, it's really important that moms get help when breastfeeding isn't going well, because one of the, when you asked about the problems, one of the problems is that The first few weeks are extraordinarily important to telling your body to increase the supply to meet your baby's needs. I always feel it's like your body is like zinging like crazy, like stimulate the breasts and I will continue to keep building my supply. But if the breasts are not being stimulated properly and if you're having pain and if you're supplementing. That means your breasts are probably not being stimulated properly. And then we have a big problem. By seven days, moms are pumping, they're supplementing, they're needing to give babies formula because they had a really hard start. So my mantra is day one, if it's hurting, get help. Day two, (laughs) if it's hurting, get help. And day three, boy, if breastfeeding is still hurting, if your baby is spending mostly time sleeping at the breast, you notice that your baby's output. you don't need to go to your baby's doctor for them to tell you that breastfeeding is difficult and that your baby is losing. If you're having any of those signs, pick up the phone, make a call, and get help. So lots of moms also, they just wait. It's just, it's just uh, let me well, let me wait to go to the pediatrician first and then see how the baby's doing. And I love that you're doing this show because we have this major opportunity to Empower moms and let them know when breastfeeding isn't going well, when they can get help.
0: And we don't need to. I mean, as mothers, we really can start to clue into our health and the health of our baby. And so, you're giving some great tips. So, say someone's recognized. Okay, baby's lost a little more weight than we think is normal. It's hurting. Baby's fussy. I better call someone. So, say they decide to hire a lactation consultant. What does a typical visit look like? What should they expect?
1: When moms come for a lactation visit, they should expect for it to last at least an hour to an hour and 15 minutes. And that is because we have a lot to go over and we want to really be able to observe your baby breastfeeding. And we want to be able to... Find out about how much, well, I shouldn't say about how much. We want to find out how much your baby is transferring for a feeding. Now, when you come in for one feeding, I always say it's this little window of time. So it's, it's not just because if your baby transfers an ounce during the feeding, it doesn't mean that that's what's always going to happen exactly an ounce, but it gives us an idea. So we know at your baby's age and weight about what they should be transferring for a feeding. So we are looking, we're, we're weighing your baby. We are checking your breasts and your nipple anatomy, and we are looking at your baby, their posture, how they're holding their head. We're checking inside their mouth, how they're using their tongue, their palate. And then we're watching you. Like, what are you doing, mom, when you're latching your baby on? I want to see what you're doing first. I keep my hands off and just watch and observe and talk. We ask a lot of questions about feeding and frequency and what it's feeling like. And how often your baby, like how your baby is feeding, if they're staying awake, if they're falling asleep quickly, we just have, I always say to moms, I'm like an investigative reporter asking all these questions because it helps me figure out what's going on. And so I want to figure out what's going on so we can then solve the problems that you're having. And so through all this Q&A and mom's latching babies on, if I see that there are adjustments to be made so we can get your baby on with a deeper latch and one that's more comfortable for you, we then focus on this during the consult and we spend quite a bit of time with you taking your baby on and off and practicing. You will far from be an expert in this, and I know, Deb, you know that this it'll take time, but For moms who are latching their babies on with a shallow latch or it's hurting, you come in and we spend time with you. We want you to know exactly what you were doing before and the adjustments you need to make. So we want you to have a lot of practice. But I also spend a lot of time telling moms that the additional practice comes over the course of the next several weeks of you working with your baby. Because it's not even a matter of just teaching a mom. She has her baby, who I always call like her breastfeeding partner, and together you need to be in sync. So we spend a lot of time doing that during the consult. If babies are losing weight, then we're talking about her supply, normal milk transfer, normal weight gain, and we're going over all that. Moms, Some moms, the situation is complicated. They've had breast surgery. They've had augmentation. They've had biopsies. Moms sometimes have injuries to their breast. Some moms have breast tissue that make it it's insufficient glandular tissue. So we are taking a look, like I said, at your breast and your anatomy. So there's lots of things that go on. And when your baby is done feeding, I like to weigh your baby so I can see exactly how much they transferred. And then we, we just talk about what's been going on with you, what's normal, what your problem is, and how to solve it.
0: That's great. And how many visits does someone usually have? Is it one? Is it ongoing?
1: Well, I like for moms to know that if things are pretty basic and you you get through a lot in your first consult, you may need another one to follow up just to be sure. Every consultant works a little bit differently. The way that I work is that you come in for a consult. If it's if it's harder challenges like you have a premature baby and the challenges are great, it's very likely you're going to need another consult or two. If things are for some, when I say basic, it could mean that for mom, she has a lot of stuff going on, a lot of pain and things. But for me, when I say basic is that I was able to show her a large amount of what I needed her to know for that very first consult. And then we follow up the phone or email, or sometimes I do a Skype chat with the mom over the next two weeks. And by and large, when it's basic, I find that moms just needed one appointment, but with lots of good follow-up afterwards. And then other moms might need another appointment or two.
0: Well, first of all, I love lactation consultants. I really credit my lactation consultant who I work with for the success of my breastfeeding, but it does come at the cost. So do you have some resources you can offer if someone cannot afford a private lactation consultant?
1: If you cannot afford a lactation consultant, the very first thing I tell moms is think about where you gave birth. If you gave birth at home, you're asking your midwife for their assistant. If you gave birth at a birthing center, you're going back to them and asking them where you could go to for help. Some of the hospitals, you can go back and see one of the consultants. Sometimes you can't. Sometimes at the birthing center, they have help available for moms who, uh, truly cannot afford to pay someone and they cannot get help through their hospital or through the birthing center, or their midwife does not have anybody, uh, a place for them to go to for free help, then WIC is a great place. So if you are on WIC, you can call up. WIC is very adept at helping moms with breastfeeding. You can make an appointment and go in and to see them. I also like to tell moms and parents that Believe me, I know that it's expense. We, we have a baby and it's a lot of money coming out of our wallet. What I like to do is tell moms, and this is why the show is great too, because if you're pregnant, I want you to think and I want you to prepare for having a baby like you do with the furniture that you buy for, for their room and toys and clothes and blankets and et cetera. And I would love for you to put lactation consultant on the list and just put money aside three or four months before, just put aside some money or for your baby shower, ask some of your friends and relatives to chip in for a gift certificate for a lactation consultant. I find that some women who are really at their wits end as far as paying for it, Sometimes I tell them, if you just cannot find any help, then maybe ask a friend or a relative for a loan. And lots of parents will say, lots of parents will just give the new mother money for a consultant, but others, if money is still tight, they will loan someone and that new mom can pay someone off 10 or $15 a month and take a year until they pay it off. So I find that for the most part, for lots of women who are having babies and have, have access to uh people around them, meaning their doctor, their pediatrician, WIC, the hospital, will be able to find someone to help them.
0: I do love your idea of you know putting money aside. Um, one of the gifts my yoga studio teachers gave me was, um, I think it was a week worth of postpartum doula help. And wow, do I share that with everyone. You know, Get it as, a, I love that, get it as a gift from people, prepare for it, you know, register for money for a lactation consultant or a doula. I think that's, that's brilliant, it's great preparing. Do you have any further tips you wanna offer either about preparing or uh, anything on breastfeeding that we haven't covered?
1: I just want to piggyback on what you just said because sure. a lot of I, I hear a lot of people say i can't i can't i don't i don't and I just want the I can I can <laughs> message to to really get across and you can ask friends and relatives for money for a lactation consultant you you can save some money and put aside most people really can do that, and at the very worst, what I tell parents is that. And you, you know this, Deb, too. It's like we're, we're kind of looking around our place where we're living and see, we have all these clothes, these blankets, these toys, all this stuff. And for some moms, I told them over the phone when they're kind of crying and saying they can't afford. And I asked them if they've had a baby shower. if they, you know, How was it? Did they get a lot of stuff? And then they'll go on and on about how much stuff they got. And I said, well, take five baby outfits back, take back five blankets, get the money in return, and you will be able to get a lactation consultant. In other words, we buy all the stuff. And the same thing with the doula. Like, I love that. I talk to moms when I took childbirth classes all the time about setting money aside or asking for money for a doula. Because we, we don't you find that we, we surround ourselves with all this stuff and yet we're like, I need help. I'd love someone here to help, oh, yeah. help the, the baby. Stuff, while
0: I- the stuff I'm actually doing a podcast with someone who has a baby store and she's actually going to talk about stuff you don't need. Um, which I think it's fantastic. Cause I do, I think that people, you know, you look at how much a baby has and I know for my kids, they barely wore half the stuff that we were given or purchased or gifted. So yeah, I think we can, we can downsize on that as well as the toys. They don't use that much in the beginning.
1: They don't use that much in the beginning. And also the other funny thing is is bras. So moms spend a lot of money in nursing bras and nursing clothes, and they haven't even had their baby yet. So, you know, put that money aside. Know what it is you want to buy. Put it on, a, on Amazon on your list so someone can purchase it after you've had your baby. But what good are all these bras and all these clothes if you're having a problem with breastfeeding and you wind up not continuing? So actually that's really the best tip that I could say to moms is really – prepare, prepare to be home for the first five to seven days, only going out. If you want a little fresh air, or you need to take your baby to a doctor's appointment. Don't have a lot of people coming and visiting, have like one, one hour open house and let everybody come and kind of love on you and the baby. And then only come if they're bringing food for you. I was going to say
0: that. Oh, don't let them bring flowers or balloons, bring food. That is what the new parent needs.
1: Exactly. We're sitting there saying I have nothing for dinner. I'm so tired. I can't keep my eyes open. I'm hungry. We're hungry. My baby's crying. So yeah, I think it's the kiss to keep it simple. silly. That (laughs) first week,
0: well, I love all the information that you have as well as your podcast. So can you talk a little bit about where people can find you and a little more about your work?
1: Yes. You can go to iTunes or any other podcast app that you have and you just search for all about breastfeeding and you will find my podcast there. I started about two and a half years ago with a mission of really educating and advocating for women around the world breastfeeding i feel like if the moms who breastfeed if we all just keep talking to each other we that's cool but it's like preaching to the choir so i am constantly telling people to share the show with friends with their relatives with the grandparents with uh, with their Bosses, so they know there are some really cool shows in there talking about employment and breastfeeding. Because a lot of people who aren't in the breastfeeding world don't understand why. We can't just take the baby to the mall and just give the baby a bottle all of a sudden or why we need to pump after two or three hours. So I think we need to educate people who aren't in the breastfeeding world about breastfeeding so they could be more sympathetic, empathetic and understanding and helpful to the breastfeeding family. So I'm doing the show with a mission to advocate for moms all around the globe. And that's the really cool thing about podcasting, you know, Deb, because yeah. you can get to people all. I mean, I have women listening in probably over 60 countries now, which is fascinating. So you could also go to allaboutbreastfeeding.biz, and that is like my headquarters for everything. You can find how to get on the podcast there, you can find out about the, the services that I provide private lactation consults in home in, in my office. And I also do Skype consults for moms who want to meet with me that way. I have a book that I wrote, we're talking a lot about postpartum and newborn breastfeeding. So I'm really, really, really all about preparing, preparing, preparing for being home those first six weeks postpartum. So I have a book, it's practical guide for new parents. And it's Five ninety seven, 97 and is chock full of handouts and checklists and a lot of really great, easy, simple things that parents can implement before you've had your baby to make the transition from pregnancy to staying home with the baby as smooth as we possibly can. And
0: we'll so make sure all, we have all of that on our show notes. So if someone hears it and they're like, oh, I need that, we will make it very possible for them to get Great. Well, I want to thank you so much. It was fun to turn the tables. So, those that don't know, I was. On, if you go to Laurie's podcast and look at them, you will see me, my name. So, I was a guest yes, on and, Laurie's, and, it's and we fun. had a great time. We, we did. had a great time. Yeah. So, I'm so glad I had a chance to turn the tables and listen to all of your expertise. It was really wonderful. Well, enjoy Arizona and your beautiful day.
1: I will. Thank you so much, Deb, for having <laughs> me on. I appreciate it.
0: Of course. Take care. Bye.